Thank you, JT. Uh, good to see everyone. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Hey, before I get into my talk, we have some uh, fun family business. Uh, um, you may have noticed around the building we've been doing some changes. We put some uh, barn wood in the reception area. We've been working on the stage and doing some cool things. And there's more of that to come. But one of the things that we've been working on uh, is a new website. And uh, part of that process has been working on a new logo for the church. So Josh, you want to throw that first slide up? Uh, when this church started in 2002, that's what it was. No, what, what it was, it's the... Uh, yeah. There we go. Like every other vineyard church on the planet, a cluster of grapes was the logo. But then in 2005, this building was built. You want to go to the next one, Josh? Uh, and then uh, the building is built. And so the next, uh, or the logo that we uh, changed to once we moved into the building was, you can go to the next one, was this right here. And basically, it's an outline of the building. And, uh, but as a, as a logo, that's a pretty clunky logo to work with. And so as we were uh, working on uh, developing a new logo, one of the things we really wanted to do is, uh, you can go to the next slide, is that we, we still wanted to be tied in uh, with the building because being here, whoop, being here on 36, 37, obviously all the traffic, what most people associate with us is, is our building. And so based on that, uh, you can go to the next one. Here is the new logo for the church. That's it there. Now, when you look at that, and I said it's tied in the building, do you know where that's at in the building? Hmm. Why don't we go to the next slide? dun 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 isn't that cool? Okay, so uh, Josh, you can go back then to the logo. So here's what I love about this logo and why we picked it. And one, like I was saying, it's tied in with the building. Uh, but two, what I love about this logo is uh, the centrality of the cross. Uh, right in the middle, like at the heart of who we are is the cross, is our faith in Christ. And, and uh, you know, you may have noticed that it's sort of trendy now in church logos to remove crosses from the logo, to remove the word church, even from your name. And we wanted to have both of those. I also love, if you're, you know, familiar with the church with the, I believe those are two rhombus, two rhombi, am I correct? Okay, I'm just making that. Uh, the two diamond shapes that what I love is on the four sides is if you've, if you've gone through visitors, well, uh, sorry, uh, vision and values, and if you've been in this church a long time, you know that our mission statement, we have four connects, boom, 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 there are the four connects. I love that it has like a greater than sign towards the Christ, or towards the cross, that Christ is, is always greater than. And then I also love that as a church, we move outward from the cross, who we are, what we do. So that is our new logo. You're going to see that showing up all over the place. Tattoos. No, I don't know about that. But you're going to see it showing up uh, around the building, signage, etc. And But one of the places you're going to see it is uh, in our church apparel. And so when you came in, you saw those tables out there. We have a whole bunch of new uh, VCDC t-shirts, sweatshirts that are available after the service, so uh, make sure to pick one of those up. And again, uh, part of this whole, uh, of what drove this new logo was a new website. So Josh, you want to go to that next slide? So we have a new website. It's, uh, to, to get to it, it's vcdc.org. It is so cool. Uh, we've been working a long time on this, and uh, I'm encouraging you all to go and check it out. Again, go to vcdc.org. There are still a few tweaks we're doing. Uh, I've asked them to make my hair less gray, so they're working on that. But, uh, but this is really cool, and we do. We want you to go check it out. Let us know what you think of the website. Let's see if we can get it to crash if so many people go to it. But again, we just wanted you to know that. So that's our new logo and website. And again, please check it out. 
Okay, thank you, Josh. Uh, as JT said, I'm wrapping up a, a series we've been in called My Favorite Psalm. And if you missed any, uh, any of these talks, there's five in total, including today, uh, you can pick them up on the info counter out in the lobby. We have free CDs. If, you're, if the CD that you need isn't there, there's little yellow cards you can order. Uh, you can order that talk. But uh, this morning, I'm gonna be wrapping up with Psalm 23. And of all 150 psalms, uh, Psalm 23 is by far the most popular. It is the most known psalm of all the psalms. I remember right after 9-11, you remember President Bush's address to the nation in this incredibly hard time as a nation when he quoted from this psalm of all the places he could have gone to in the Bible. He went to Psalm 23. And remember, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And this is an incredibly uh, comforting psalm. Uh, more often than not, this psalm will be read in hospitals, it's read at, uh, at funerals, um, uh, comforting for those who are sick, for those who have lost a loved one, but when you really look at Psalm 23, and as we look at it today, what you see is that this psalm is, is way more pointing to everyday life than it is to the end of life. Uh, it really describes the, the daily care of a shepherd for his sheep. And Psalm 23, like many of the Psalms, was written by David. And it's interesting that the first, <coughs> excuse me, the first time we meet David in the Bible is in uh, 1 Samuel 16 when God has spoken to the prophet Samuel and he said, hey, I'm gonna, I wanna crown a new king of Israel and, uh, and uh, the new king is one of Jesse's sons, so I'm sending you to their house to, to anoint this new king, and, and Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and Jesse starts parading his sons in front of Samuel, and all these strapping lads, and Samuel's like, oh, it's gotta be this guy, oh, it's gotta be this guy, and God's like, nope, next, nope, next, and they literally go through all of his sons, or thinking all of his sons, and, and they run out, and, and Samuel's like, is that it? I mean, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's the youngest, there's David, but he's, you know, he's out with the sheep, and Samuel's like, well, let's go get him. And, uh, and typically, in the ancient world, if a family had sheep, the youngest son was given that job, and being a shepherd was like one of the lowliest jobs. It was not a good career move. Uh, it was not something you wanted to major in, but uh, shepherding was a 24-7 rain or shine, uh, summer or winter job where you as a shepherd, like you lived with your sheet, with sheep, with your dirty, smelly sheep, and I'm sure when they called for David that they, uh, they probably smelled him before they, before they saw him. But when he walked in, God goes to Samuel. This is the guy. This is the king. And, and uh, anoint him. So David, uh, David uh, knew what it was, what it was like to, to be a sheep or to be a shepherd. He also knew what it was like to be a sheep. Uh, and really it's from that place that David you know, has, has written this psalm. And one more thing before we get into this psalm, of all, you know, of all the animals that God could have chosen to describe you and I, uh, he picks sheep. Uh, all through the Bible, uh, you, we are referred to over and over as his sheep, the flock under his, under his care. And, and you know, when you look at sheep, they really are like incredibly needy animals. And no matter how old uh, a sheep gets, a domesticated sheep, no matter how old one of those sheep gets, they never grow beyond the need of a shepherd. They, just, they don't know how to take care of themselves. 
Uh, sheep that don't have a shepherd, sheep that live in the wild have a different name. Uh, they're actually called lunch. That's what they're called. You can, look at, you can Google that. But now, while it may be humbling for us as human beings to, to have God, our creator, refer to us as sheep, uh, would you not agree that it, that is so accurate to our condition as humans? That we are incredibly frail and, and, and uh, all it takes for us to get in touch with that weakness, with that frailty is, is just, I mean, all it takes is something to come our way that we don't understand, something that comes our way that, that is overwhelming or that is out of our control and, and right away it's like we're so aware that boy, oh boy, I need help. Boy, oh boy, I need someone stronger, someone smarter, someone bigger than me to, to, you know, to manage what's come my way. And you know, maybe you're in one of those places this morning that you're aware that you're facing things that are just, they're, they're bigger than you. And you're so in touch with your need uh, for a shepherd. Well, David, what we'll see in this psalm, David was very aware of his need for a shepherd. And really, Psalm 23 is like a, uh, a summary of his life from shepherd boy to mighty warrior to, uh, to really one of the greatest kings of Israel. And, and really, Psalm 23, it's, it's a celebration. It's David, you know, we don't know when it was written, but looking back on his life and celebrating all the blessings, all the benefits of being uh, one of God's little lambs. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into Psalm 23. So Lord, we thank you for your presence, and uh, just uh, the theme of today, Lord, in, in Psalm 23, I pray that you would come and shepherd us. Like I just, I look at this room, all these people, and it's like a, this room is filled with a bunch of lambs, and you are, are the good shepherd. You know your lambs. You know who's lost today, who's hurting, who's wounded, who's hungry. Lord, and I pray that you, uh, way beyond my words, you would come and be personal with all your lambs. <laughs> that you would just come and, and comfort us. That you'd feed us, give us what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 23, uh, um, it's also going to be up on the screens, but we'll jump right in. Number one in your notes uh, is God is our shepherd who provides. <clears throat> our shepherd who provides. So Psalm 23, we'll start with verses one through three. <clears throat> it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me all along the right paths for his name's sake. We'll stop there. So right out of the gate again, here's David, you know, like I said, you know, summarizing his life. And, and here he is uh, just listing all the ways that this shepherd, the Lord, uh, cares for him, provides for him from food to water to rest to you know, inner refreshment to guidance. And, and again, David speaks from a place of experience. He has been the shepherd, but he's also been a lamb. He's, he's, he's experienced, he's lived being shepherded by God. And, and what, what I want to point out, and it's very obvious, but just how lopsided this providing is that God is our provider that everything in that list, it's all God. It's all God who's the provider. And it's all us who are the ones in need, who, who are the receivers in this. He's the one. He makes, he leads, 
He refreshes. He guides. Like, it's all him. He provides all our needs. And, you know, you and I in this life, we'll grow physically. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll mature mentally in lots of different ways. We'll, we'll learn all kinds of different skills. We'll experience all kinds of stuff in life. But we will never grow beyond the place of not needing a shepherd. We'll never grow beyond that. And in and, and, and this first point, what I want to focus on is, is less, less what God provides. And I want to focus on more how do we put ourselves, how do we put ourselves in, in a position to receive from him as our provider. Right, these first three verses, really what they show is the heart of the shepherd. Really what they show is, you know, God is as the shepherd saying, hey, lambs, here's what I want to do for you. Here's how I want to provide for you. And so one of the things that he's working in, in all of our lives is, is really he needs to teach us how to be his lambs. He needs to grow and mature us into being, you know, to position ourselves in that place to receive all these ways he wants to care for us. And, you know, really a big part of, of maturing spiritually is uh, one, it's knowing, it's, be, it's, it's being in touch with that weakness, the frailty of the human condition. It's being in touch with our need for a shepherd, but it's also embracing that knowledge of our, of our neediness and letting it be a constant reminder to drive us to, to him. Right? It's, one of the, it's really a, a gift we're given in, in, in the frailty of, of, of the human condition. Because it's like a daily, hourly reminder that, boy, I, I, I really need someone bigger to care for me. And, you know, uh, I remember when, <clears throat> when both of our sons were born. We have two sons. And uh, those were two of the most uh, awesome days of my life. And, and I remember with our first son leading up to his birth, Helen and I, my wife Helen and I took these classes and, and they showed us all these uh, VHS videos of, uh, um, of, of births, of live births. And we're watching these, you know, just see, like this is what you're going to go through real soon. And we're watching them. And, and I remember in every one of them, you'd see the, the husband sort of had his role. You know, he's there. And every, in every one of them, when, when this little person was born, the husband would just start to cry. And I looked at that, and if you know me, I, I tend to get emotional from time to time. And I remember looking at that thinking, oh, my, oh no, we were in trouble. And I'm sure Helen was thinking, he's not going to be much use. You know, because I thought, when our, when our little one is born, they're going to wheel me off to the ICU, the intense care, uh, crying unit. But, uh, but interestingly enough, when our son, our first son was born, uh, I was so in awe that that I, I mean, I couldn't even speak, let alone cry. I was just looking at this little, this little man, and, and the tears came later when they were weighing him, you know, in this little sort of bassinet thing, and, and, they, and they were laying him down, and he's, you know, his whole world has changed, like, what's going on? And he's, and he's, you know, crying, and his hands are whipping around, and I'm looking at him, and I just stuck my finger out to his hand, and he reached up, and he grabbed my, <laughs> he, oh, Home, it's Hallmark Sunday. No, he grabbed, he grabbed, he grabbed my finger, and no joke. As soon as he grabbed my finger, he started. He proceeded to pee all over my hand, <laughs> for real. And that's when I started to cry, and not, not, not because of the hand sanitizer, if you will, but because it was the first time that I felt connected to this little man, and you know, and that. Uh, and that realization was like this, 
this wave of love for him washed over me. And then right behind it came another wave of responsibility. And I thought, oh boy, oh no. Like I need to teach this little guy how to be a man. I need to, uh, I need to point him you know, towards maturity. I mean, I'm just, I was trying to figure that out for myself. And, but, but over the years, as our boys have become men, uh, I've learned something about maturity. Like one of the signs of maturity is I've watched them grow. One of the signs of maturity in their lives is not so much them not needing me, but it's them choosing on their own to come to me and to ask for help, to ask for advice. That's a sign of maturity. And as a dad, I love that. I love when my sons say, hey, dad, what do you think about this? Or, hey, dad, what would you do about that? I mean, to me, that is a sign of growth in their lives, of maturity. And, and I, you know, I want them to come to me. And God is the same. But, but when we talk about shepherd and sheep, you know, God, God has made it clear that he's the shepherd. He is the provider. And that he is, you know, that really the shepherd's provision is available to everyone. Every lamb now on planet Earth, if you will, he wants to provide for them. He wants to provide for you. But it takes for us to, to, you know, to position ourselves to receive that provision, we need to choose him. Like David says the Lord is my shepherd, not the Lord is the shepherd. And the fact that he says my shepherd says that there are other shepherds out there that we can choose. The fact that he says my shepherd shows that a choice needs to be made by each little lamb. You know, so to say to a lamb, hey, who's your shepherd? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's interesting, you know, in, the, in uh, a Middle Eastern shepherd, they don't drive their sheep. They're not behind them, you know, they don't stand from the, from the back, drive them. They lead them from the front. And, that's, and really, that's a beautiful picture of, of how Jesus, our shepherd, leads us. He leads, you know, the, the, really the words of Jesus that we hear all through the Bible and, 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 and we, you know, we continue to hear, his, his, his invitation to every one of us is, come follow me, come follow me. But we need to make a choice. And really, it's, it's not a, it, will, it is not a one-time choosing, it's a daily choosing. Because we are, we are like sheep. We are daily wanderers. Uh, there's a, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount, captures it so well, captures our sheepness. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. Rescued thus from sin and danger, purchased by the Savior's blood. May I walk on earth a stranger, as a child, as a lamb, and an and heir of God. Like we, like sheep, as the Bible says, uh, we are constantly going astray, each one choosing their own way. We need to choose who our shepherd will be. When I say choose each day, uh, what I don't mean is that, so every day you need to pray the sinner's prayer. Every day you need to become a Christian. Each, every day you need to get converted. Every day you need to ask Jesus in your heart. That, that only needs to happen once, right? I mean, it's, when you look at, you know, uh, starting a relationship with Jesus, in which is such a, I mean, you're going to be, you know, you're going to start a friendship with God. It's this massive, massive thing, mysterious thing, and yet to start a relationship with God is, it's really so simple and normal. I mean, in the context of Psalm 23, to start a relationship with God, all it takes is for you to say to God, hey, Jesus, 
I want to follow you. I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd who will provide for me. So Jesus, uh, today I'm, I'm, I'm saying I want to follow you. Please be my shepherd. Teach me how to follow you. That's all it takes to start a relationship with Jesus. And maybe there's some of you here today that you've, you've never done that. And really that's all it takes. It's just to have that conversation with him. But when I say choose, making that choice each day, I don't mean that each day we're back to square one. It's like, you know, if you're dating someone, uh, you don't call them up every morning and say, uh, hey, do you want to go out with me? And the person's like, hey, like, didn't we establish that like four months ago? Didn't this relationship start you know, four months ago? Choosing, uh, choosing means that you know, once the relationship is started, it means now you make that relationship your number one priority. And so to carry on that, that analogy, it means now you delete all your dating apps. Or now you, you, know, you, you erase or unfriend all your old flames. And it's, it's, it's a decision. It's a daily decision that who's my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Who's my provider? The Lord is my provider. And it's in choosing God to be our shepherd each day that we position ourselves as his lambs to uh, live under the blessing of his provision. So that's number one. Numero dos. Number two. Uh, God is our shepherd who protects. So verses four and five say this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, we don't know, you know, when David wrote this again, we don't know when he wrote it. Uh, we don't know if, if, you know, how, what was going on in his life. Like, what was the valley of the shadow of death? You know, was, it, was, it, was he thinking back to a real scary valley that he led a bunch of sheep through? Or, you know, was it something on the battlefield? Was it, you know, was it a trusted friend, if you're familiar with David's life? A son who uh, turned on him? Was it, uh, or was he on his deathbed and, the, you know, the shadow of death was growing? Like, or maybe it's a bit of all of the above. So we don't, we don't exactly know uh, where this was coming from, but what we do know, and what I really want to point uh, out to us, is that in the middle of a place where David should have been totally freaked out, he was at peace. There was calm. Like when it says, you know, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's like walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If I was in the valley of the shadow of death, I would be running like a madman, like get me out of here. I'd be like, but he's walking. Like it just doesn't make sense for there to be calm in a scary place like that. So how, you know, how is David so calm? And really, it's, it's carrying back on from number one. It's what we see in this psalm and what we just read is that he's choosing He's choosing God as his provider. And now what we're seeing here is that he's choosing God as his protector. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. What that says there is choose him. Like every day we go through stuff. Every day we get hit by waves. Some are huge, some are small. But every day we get hit with worries and fears and all kinds of stuff. And what he's saying is, it's, you know, that's, that's how we choose him. It's going to God, turning to God. And what happens when we do? Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It doesn't make sense. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live 
in Christ Jesus. And as we choose God each day, as we choose God, especially in the hard times, especially in the confusing, painful times, the more we do that as we, as we live this life, what happens is our relationship with God grows. It deepens. Our relationship with him, our trust with him, our intimacy, our friendship with God grows. Notice how in, in verses four and five that the pronoun changes. Right in the first few verses when he's talking about God as, our, uh, as his provider, it's third person. He does this. He does that. But then when he gets into talking about protection in this scary place, the pronoun goes to second person. Now suddenly it's you. It's, it's personal. And so when you look at it, you know, let me ask that question again. David, how, how was it you were, you were calm in such a scary place? What, what would his answer be? Because he's with me. Or to God, because you are with me. That's the, that's the game changer, because God is here with me. And isn't it interesting, it doesn't say, you know, I have peace in this place because for you have fixed the problem. It doesn't say that. For you have removed the scary situation. It doesn't say that. The, 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 what changes, what, change, what, what, what gives him peace and calm in that, in that scary place, is you, God, you are with me. It's the presence of God that makes all the difference. That, and really, that's what a maturing relationship with God looks like. And what we long for, what we look for is his presence. And I remember, uh, <clears throat> like two years ago, I had this very vivid dream, and uh, it's really stuck with me. And it, it, in many ways, it's become a theme for my life over the last two years. And in this dream, it's kind of funny, but in the dream, I was jogging with Jesus. Sounds like a, you know, a new sitcom on TBN. Jogging with Jesus. But I was, I was jogging with Jesus, and we were going down this trail, and all of a sudden, I stopped. I felt like I, you know, I got hit by a wave of fear. I just remember getting really scared. Oh, and, I, and, I, and afraid, and, and I said, Jesus, I said, you need to come and hug me right now. I need a hug right now, Jesus. I need to feel your love right now. I'm scared. And in the dream, Jesus looked at me. He was, you know, he was a little further down the trail. He looked at me and said, no, uh, I'm not going to hug you. It needs to be enough that I'm here with you. Let's go. And he started running. And I'm like, what? What is that? I mean, precious moments, Jesus? No. What? I mean, what is? And so, and all through the dream, that happened over and over and over. I would stop. I'd be afraid. I'd be scared. You got to, I need to feel your love right now. And he would say, no, it needs to be enough for you that I'm with you. And so, and so like, why would he do that? Like, you know, what, what, what's he trying to teach you? Doesn't that seem cold to you? Well, uh, a very popular verse, a very comforting verse that I'm sure most of you would know. Romans 8.28 says this. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Such an encouraging verse because it, you know, in all the struggles, it's, 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 it's this truth that God is gonna make everything work out for our good. And if we're being honest, or if I'm being honest, when I define good, I define it that everything's gonna work out the way I'm hoping it will work out. Everything's gonna work out the way I'm planning it or wanting it to work out. But, but what does God mean by good? What is, what's the good that he's trying to work into all of our lives? And the next verse answers it, Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good work 
that God is working in your life and in my life, that good work, it's making us more and more like Jesus. And a big part of that is, is us discovering more and experiencing more the, the, uh, the same kind of relationship that Jesus has with his father, that we would have that same kind of relationship. And, and so it, going back to this dream, like what, what was God you know, trying to work into my life by saying, no, it needs to be enough that I'm with you? What we, he was doing is he's, he's working to move us from being consumers of God to being friends of God where we want him more than we want what he can do for us. It's he's working to move us from living from our feelings to living from our faith. He wants to teach us how to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by feelings. He's working to move us to a place of saying, just like Jesus, when we're facing a hard situation, that we want it to stop but we, it's turning to God and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Because we've learned to trust him that if he says, no, I want you to go this way, that that's the right way to go. That's the good. That's the good way for us. His plan is to grow us, to mature us to a place of being so comforted by his presence with us that we could be in the middle of a fierce battle and be so at peace that we could plop ourselves down in the middle of it all and enjoy a meal. I mean, that's really what verse five points to. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, it isn't that to me. Just think about that picture. That is a bizarre picture. Like, just imagine right now, if this was a battle scene, and you know, bombs are going off, and people, there's chaos around, and bullets are flying, and you're like, you're scared out of your wits, and all of a sudden, over that loud noise of the battle, you hear this voice say, table for two, I got a table for two here, and you're like, what? What is that? And you look over, and there's Jesus, and he's got this table set real nice, and he's sitting there, and he's going, come over here. Come sit with me, and you're, you know, you're going over, and you sit down, and Jesus is like, he takes your hands, and he's saying, don't, 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 don't look at the battle. Don't be, you know, don't be, don't be afraid of the roar of the, of the, of the sounds of the battle. He's saying, right now, I just need you to look at me. Just look at me. Now let's eat. Let's enjoy this meal. And I mean, just imagine that. I, I would be like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, like, don't you see all that's going on here? Right? And what, he, what he's saying is, yeah, I do. I do see all that's going on. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not blind to all that, but, but you need to look at me right now in this scary place because what I'm trying to teach you is not to build the, the, the strength of your life, the hope of your life on your circumstances. You need to build it on me. You need to, you know, you know your, your foundation needs to be me. So now in this hard place, son, daughter, look at me. Just look at me. And I know that uh, many in this room that uh, you struggle with crippling fear, you know, anxiety, worry, like they're like bullies in your life. And, and what God is wanting to teach you He's wanting to teach you. He's wanting to, you know, break the power of that fear that, that is, is, you know, is, is overwhelming you. And, and, and he wants to teach you how, in the midst of the, the dark valley, how to look for him, how to listen for his voice that says, I'm here. I'm here with you.
And you know, and, and what it is, it's, he doesn't just want to do that. This isn't just important because he's the good shepherd and he wants to comfort you. You know, his little lamb, he wants to bring peace to you in this hard place. Like, of course, that is super important. But you know, there's more to it. He also wants to teach us as his lambs that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He wants to teach us. Like when I say that we're sheep and we're needy and we need a shepherd, I don't mean we're worms. What I mean is like, yes, we're sheep, but we are warrior sheep. That's like a, that sounds like an oxymoron, warrior. I mean, there's no X-Men called sheep man. But it's like, but the truth is we are warrior sheep. We go to war. We've been invited into this war on, you know, this spiritual battle on earth. We've been invited into that. We follow our shepherd into war. And God wants to teach you. Some of you are in hard places and you're thinking, why won't you get me? Why won't you stop this? And he's like, this is my training program for you. This is, I know it's hard, but I'm trying to teach you not only that I am with you, but but that I want to teach you how to rise up filled with the spirit of God, empowered by God to do what I've made you to do, to be who I've made you to be, and to not only survive this battle, but to literally take authority over this battle. And for some of you, I I really feel like the Lord is saying today, this season you're in, don't give up. Don't be fooled by how you feel. Don't be fooled by what you see. Because you are right smack dab in the middle of God's training program for you as he grows you as his lamb. So I got to keep rolling. Uh, Number two, our shepherd. He's our shepherd who protects. Finally, God is our shepherd forever. Verse six says this. It says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when I look at uh, Psalm 23, and let me, let me challenge you with this. If, if you're a, well, even if you aren't a memorizer, this is a great psalm to memorize. I mean, it's, it's a better choice than Psalm 119. Uh, Six verses, six verses, but, to, but Psalm 23 is a multivitamin uh, psalm to memorize uh, because it, and, and, and even just, even if you just memorize verse six, verse six is such a cool verse because it's, it's so encouraging, so loaded with hope because basically it says, hey, little lamb, all your days, this side of heaven, all your days, you know, this other side of heaven forever, I'm going to be your shepherd I'm going to care for you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to protect. And, and when, when it says there, surely, surely your goodness and love, or as I learned it as a kid, surely your goodness and mercy, the word surely there, it means that it's not like, well, maybe. It means you can count on it. You can count on it that my goodness and love, my goodness and mercy will be with you every day of your life. And one of the commentaries I read said, uh, goodness and mercy, goodness and love, they are the two sheepdogs of God that follow us, that watch over us and, and care for us. But, but I want to end off today by uh, touching on two points uh, from this psalm, from, from this last verse. Uh, and the first one is this, it's to draw our attention to two key destinations Uh, in this psalm. And what I mean is there's two real key places that David talks about. One is the valley of the shadow of death and the other is the house of the Lord. And what I want to point out is that, uh, and what I find so encouraging is that the the valley, the valley of the shadow of, of death is a temporary place, but that the house of the Lord is our permanent place. Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
even though I walk through it. This is not our permanent uh, destination, if you will. Right? We're, we are passing through. And verse six says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord is our permanent destination. I mean, just let that truth settle in because that is so encouraging. It is meant to encourage us. Just that reminder that, that, that the lives we're in now, some of the hard parts, the struggles, the losses, the injustices, like all, just this, this stuff that, that this is not our permanent home, that we are just passing through, that, that uh, compared to forever, compared to eternity, our lives on planet Earth are a boop, are just a blip. James 4.14 says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So the first point is that, you know, being in the valley, the valley is temporary, but the house of the Lord is permanent. And then let me set up the second point. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when I was younger, I played a lot of hockey. It always comes back to hockey, and so it should. But when I used to play hockey, I can remember uh, many coaches would, 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 in different ways, would say this uh, to, to challenge us as players. Like, hey, when you're on the ice, when it's your shift, they would say, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your, you know, like, you know, like barely a minute when you're on the ice? What are you going to do with your time on the ice? What are you going to do with the opportunities you have uh, while you're out there? And, and this may be overly simple, but that concept, that question, really is, uh, it's how I look at life. And what I mean is this. We are living our shift right now. Like, uh, we're on the ice right now. And so the question is, like, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with the time we've been given to be on the ice? What are we doing with the shift that God uh, has given us? Because pretty soon the whistle will blow and the coach will give the nod and there's going to be a line change. And then it's going to be someone else's shift. And uh, uh, so, so what are you doing with the time that God has given you? And now I realize even saying or asking a question like that, that may stir up guilt in the room and that's, that's not at all uh, 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 where I'm going with that. But, but however you would answer that question, you know, what are you doing with the time God's given you? Let me tell you, uh, the second point, let me tell you how to make the most of your time on earth, your time on the ice, if you will. And it may, and it may seem like a contradiction, but the way to make the most of your shift, the way to make the most of your time on earth, and this is the second point, is to never lose sight of heaven. It's to never lose sight of, of that permanent place. It's to let the reality of our permanent destination impact our lives now. Really, really one of the secrets of following Jesus uh, is not losing sight of heaven. And really, it's what I've been talking about in this talk. You know, how do you do that? Well, you do that by daily choosing who your shepherd's going to be. Daily choosing him to be your provider, your protector, and it's, it's never, you know, and, and as we do that, it's never losing sight of heaven because the promise of heaven, like that is meant to encourage us. Like I, God has given us a gift as human beings, this whole thing of looking forward to, uh, to something, it's a gift God's given us because there's something about the future hope that impacts our present struggle. That future hope gives us life, gives us uh, hope and, and 
really focused for the, for the present time. And I'm gonna end off with this quote. Uh, it's from C.S. Lewis. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. <clears throat> this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men and women who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So why don't we stand up? Let's just... uh, Take a couple of minutes. We, you know, we always end off our services for time just to respond to the Lord. And, and I think of what I prayed at the beginning. Like the picture I have, I've had all weekend is I, when I look out on you, I just see a bunch of little lambs. You know, and uh, we probably have to get the carpets cleaned. But uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, boy. And chaos ensues. But, but that I just saw Jesus, the shepherd, walking through his flock and just looking you over. And, and so, you know, as we end off the service today, it's really, it's an opportunity to respond to the shepherd, to come to the shepherd. And so let's just quiet ourselves for a second. Just let him, just let him sort of uh, clarify what he's, what he's saying to you.